Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Ben, uh, and I'm the youth minister here at Wurunga Anglican. Um, and it is uh, fantastic uh, to be um, given the privilege of bringing God's word uh, to us this morning. Uh, we, we're into our second week of our uh, summer series, kind of running across January, uh, which is all about living wisely, uh, living wisely. Uh, last week, Andrew uh, presented uh, the challenge of Proverbs 9 to us, uh, to make this year uh, one lived in the house of wisdom, not in the house of folly, uh, to live this year in the house of our Lord Jesus. Uh, and wisdom, uh, we know from Proverbs 9 that we heard from last week, uh, begins with a fear of the Lord, uh, a right respect and reverence of our God, of his power and majesty. Uh, wisdom begins with knowing the truth about God. Uh, and today, uh, we are continuing to think about living wisely. Uh, and the main passage uh, that we're going to be uh, looking at uh, today is the first one that was read for us, uh, the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50. Uh, and, and this is the last chapter of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible and also the, the foundational book of the Bible. Uh, and in this passage, we'll be focusing in on one particular verse uh, that tells us one of these key truths about God and his power that we must know in order to live wisely. Uh, this, this verse uh, actually sums up the whole book of Genesis pretty well. In fact, it sums up more than just Genesis. Uh, this verse sums up the whole story of the Bible, uh, from the moment that God created the world, uh, right through to when Jesus returns one day to make the world new again. Uh, it is a truth that we need to learn as we start this new year and that we need to be reminded of each and every day in order to live our lives wisely with our God and Father. Uh, but before we get uh, stuck into the Bible, uh, please do join me uh, as we pray that God would speak to us this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it is true that it teaches us to live wisely with you. And yet, Lord, we know that uh, without your help, uh, nothing that I say or anything that we read uh, will change our hearts and enable us to know you better. And so we pray that you would now be at work so that we would know you better. Amen. Uh, so this verse that I've already talked up a fair bit is, of course, uh, verse 20 of Genesis 50. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, Joseph speaking to his brothers, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Uh, other translations other than the NIV uh, have it more like, uh, put, put it like this, uh, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Uh, and this verse, I think, really is the summary of the whole story of the Bible. 
Uh, People plan evil. Uh, They sin. They're filled with pride against God, with with discontent. They rebel against him. Uh, People do what is wrong, what is evil, and yet even as they do, even as people commit horrible sins, rebelling against God, hurting others, God is working all of it for good. Uh, This idea is, I think, uh, a really, really difficult one to understand. Uh, That that people are doing what is evil, uh, but God is using it for good as part of his good plan of salvation. It's one of those truths in the Bible that can get us really confused. How can all sin, all evil, which by its very definition is opposed to God, that's what sin and evil are, they're rebellion against God, how can all sin and evil actually serve God's good purposes? It seems that they're incompatible. It doesn't seem that it's possible. And yet the Bible affirms that it is, that that is the reality of our world, of all of history. And so, to help us wrap our heads around how this works, uh, what it means that God works good from evil, uh, we're going to consider this morning the context of this verse, verse 20, uh, which is the story of Joseph and what happened to him. I'm sure many of you have heard the story of Joseph and his technicolour coat before, uh, but here's a, a quick recap of the story. Uh, so uh, we start with Abraham, who uh, much earlier on in Genesis uh, is promised by God uh, for no particular reason uh, that uh, through Abraham the whole world will be blessed and that Abraham's descendants will be a great nation. Uh, once uh, Abraham dies, uh, that promise continues and is carried on by Isaac, Abraham's son. Uh, Isaac has two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob is the one who got the blessing, and so uh, he carries God's promise with him, that promise to Abraham. Uh, And Jacob, well, he didn't live a perfect life by any means. Uh, In fact, Jacob wasn't even what you'd consider a particularly good or upstanding guy by any standards. He, He made some really bad decisions. Uh, One of the foremost of his bad decisions was that he married two women uh, who happened to be sisters. Uh, He actually ended up also marrying both of their servants as well, Uh, so he ended up with four wives. Uh, Now, this really just isn't a good situation in itself, uh, but add to this, Jacob also loved Rachel, the younger sister, more than he loved Leah, the older sister. And so Leah was incredibly jealous of Rachel. Uh, But the way that it happened, uh, Leah had many children, uh, sons and a daughter, uh, whereas Rachel couldn't conceive. And so Rachel ended up really jealous of Leah because she was the one with the children. Uh, Needless to say, this isn't a recipe for domestic bliss. Uh, It's an absolute mess. Eventually, after years and years, Rachel does get pregnant and she gives birth to Joseph. And Jacob, being the fantastic bloke that we've already worked out that he is, decides that given that Rachel is his favourite wife, obviously Joseph is his favourite son. 
And so even though Joseph is the youngest, uh, Jacob gives him a fancy coat. And all the brothers know exactly what this means. Uh, The the coat may as well have had Jacob's favourite son kind of embroidered across the back of it. Add to all this, uh, Joseph isn't a particularly humble guy. He's he's pretty arrogant. He he starts having these dreams about his brothers bowing down and worshipping him. And so he promptly tells his brothers about these dreams and that they will one day bow down and worship him. So there's a fair bit of animosity against Joseph. One day, Joseph's older brothers are off taking care of the flocks of animals, and Joseph is at home, not working very hard because he's the favourite. And Jacob sends Joseph out to go and check on his older brothers. So Joseph goes, and his brothers decide to kill him because they are so jealous of all that he has. In the end, however, they see reason, or something of reason, and decide that actually they can get the exact same result of getting Joseph out of their lives without killing him, instead by selling him as a slave and telling their father that a wild animal ate him. So Joseph ends up in Egypt, and through a whole lot of incredible circumstances, he actually becomes the prime minister, the second in charge of the country only to the king. Joseph is put in charge of storing up food for a famine that God has told him is coming. The famine strikes and Egypt is the only place in the region with food because God had told Joseph about it. Jacob's family doesn't have any food. They're going to starve to death. And it seems at this moment that actually God's promises to Abraham of a great family becoming a great nation will fail. But Joseph's brothers hear that there's food in Egypt and so they go there to buy some food from the Prime Minister of Egypt, who is Joseph. The brother they sold as a slave years and years earlier. A whole lot of things happen there, but the long and short of it is that as we get to the end of Genesis, Genesis 50, Jacob's whole family, God's chosen people, Abraham's descendants, end up owning the best, most productive land in the whole of Egypt. And their lives are saved because Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. Now, this, uh, to many of us, will be a really familiar story that we've heard many, many times. Uh, But take a step back from the familiarity for a moment, and what you actually see is a crazy story. Uh, All of Jacob's sin and wrongdoing, uh, marrying two sisters and then having a favourite son, Uh, Joseph being an arrogant little so-and-so, his brother's jealousy and hatred, All of it works together to save God's people from the famine. It all works so that God keeps his promise to Abraham. So at the end of all this, Joseph says, You meant evil, but God meant it for good, to save many lives. Joseph's story is an incredible illustration of how this works. That even through all the evil, all the sin, God is at work and he is using it for good. All through the Bible, time and time again, we see this same tension. People are sinful, rebellious, proud, discontented. They keep on sinning, they keep on doing what is evil. And yet at the same time, God has a good plan. The examples are are almost endless. 
From the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve sin in the garden, but God clothes them and promises one day to crush the snake. Jacob sins, Joseph sins, Joseph's brothers sin, and yet God saves the whole family from starvation. The great King David later on in the Old Testament sins by committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband murdered. Yet God gives them a son, Solomon, who will be the wise king after his father. Again and again, it's a pattern that continues on through the whole Bible, all through the history of God's people. Now, some people come to this tension. They see this tension, people doing evil, horrible things on the one hand, and yet it all still being part of God's good plan on the other, and they can't reconcile it. They can't fit evil and God's good plan together in their heads. And so they say things like, well, it isn't part of God's plan that evil should happen, but God just allows evil to happen and then brings the best out of the situation. Now, it's true that God does not force people to sin, to to do evil, but the Bible will have none of this talk of God merely allowing evil to happen and then working the best from the situation. Hey, listen to verse 20 again. It says, you meant evil, but God meant good. Joseph's brothers meant to do evil by selling their brother into slavery. But likewise, God meant for Joseph to be sold into slavery in order to bring about good. Listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It says that God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything that happens, everything that happened, Jacob's messy family, the pride, the jealousy, it wasn't God's plan B. God doesn't have one plan and then Joseph's brothers sell him as a slave and God suddenly has to go, whoa, wait a second, and recalibrate things and work out a new strategy to bring about good. It was always God's plan. One of my favourite films of all time is The Dark Knight of the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, and Heath Ledger in that film plays the Joker, and he's, he's brilliant. It's a really great portrayal of a villain. And in this film, Commissioner Gordon pretends to be dead and Batman pretends to reveal his identity, all as part of a plan to capture the Joker. And it works. And you think that the film's over and they've won. But then it turns out that all of this was part of the Joker's plan to be captured. It's one of those massive plot twists. He actually wanted to be arrested. Everything was part of his plan. Uh, Well, the the way that God works is a little bit like that, only so much better. He uses all the sin, all the evil that people do to bring about good. Uh, People mean it for evil, but God means it for good. It is all part of his plan. Uh, The reality is that evil, sinful humanity, rebelling against God, can do nothing in their rebellion that is not part of God's good purposes for the world. Even right from the beginning, and how astonishing is this? Even right from the beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, filled with pride, believing that they could do God's job better than him, 
filled with discontent despite all that God had blessed them with. That very first sin. It was part of God's plan. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, if Adam and Eve, if humanity had never sinned, then Jesus would never have been needed. If there was no sin, then Jesus would never have died for sin, the righteous and innocent one for the guilty. Yet Jesus' death and resurrection is the greatest thing that God has ever done, a great and greater even than creating the universe itself. Jesus is the greatest example of God's love, of God's justice, of God's wisdom ever. You know, even in Jesus' death, we see God's plan at work through the sin of people. Humans decide to kill Jesus, the innocent, perfect son of God. It's the greatest sin ever committed, the greatest injustice in all of history. And you know what the Bible says? It says it's not just the the leaders and the Roman authorities who actually nailed Jesus to the cross who are complicit in Jesus' murder. It's actually all of us, all of humanity, because we all sin, we all reject God. Yet even as this greatest evil in all history was committed, God was working. We meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, to bring salvation. And even now, God is still working good out of evil. And this isn't just some kind of general good. It's not just some vague conception of the greater good. No, this is specific good for you and for me. Uh, Listen to the words of uh, Romans 8 that were read for us earlier, beginning at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In everything, God is working for our good. He's working to bring us into closer relationship with him, the creator of the universe. He's working to change us so that we'll be more like Jesus. He's working to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. God is working in all the circumstances of our lives to bring these things about, working through all of it for our good. Ultimately... You see it there in verse 30. God is actually working to bring us home to glory with him on the last day. The ultimate and final good. How do we know this? How can we be sure that God really is working 
for our good? Well, have a look with me at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Jesus is how we know. Jesus is how we can be sure that God is working for our good. If God has given us Jesus, if God has worked for our good, for our salvation and forgiveness through the death of his son, do you think he'll stop there? Of course not. This is the truth that we need to know to live wisely this coming year. But it's, it's not a new truth. It's actually the oldest truth in the world, one that God has been showing his people for thousands of years. No matter what evil and hurt and tragedy and suffering and sin may come, he is in control. It is all part of God's good plan of salvation. But but this isn't a truth that we only need to hear once and then move on with our lives. We need to hear the truth that God is powerful and in control again and again every single day. We need to remind ourselves and each other of this truth all through the year that is ahead of us. Because it's easy now for us to look back on the story of Joseph and see that God was actually at work the whole time. It's easy now to see Jesus on the cross and know that this is God's plan to save. But at the time, can you imagine at the time, as Joseph was dragged away in chains from his home and all he had ever known, as Jesus, beaten and bloody, staggered up the hill under the weight of the cross upon which he would be hung. At the time, The concept that anything good could possibly come of this would have been utterly beyond comprehension. How could Joseph, sold as a slave by his own brothers, be good? How could the public murder of God's promised saviour, the Lord Jesus, work out for good? At the time, we can never see the big picture. When evil shows up in our lives, when we're afflicted by circumstances outside our control, when we wallow once again in our own sin, we can't see it. We're not big enough, we're not smart enough to see how God could possibly work through tragedy and sin in our own lives. But he does. The story of Joseph, the story of the cross, the story of the whole of human history is that God is working out all things in accordance with his plan. What people mean for evil, God means for good and the saving of many lives. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that you are mighty, you are powerful, you are sovereign and you are in control. Thank you that in spite of the best efforts of sinful humanity to oppose you, All things work together in accordance to your good plan. Thank you that your plan is for our good. Please help us to therefore trust in your plan and your ways, even when we can't see how you could possibly work good in our lives. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus, who was given for us. Amen.